Welcome to the Curator's Salon. I'm Gita Joshi and my guest today is Laurie Cuisinier. Laurie and I were following each other on Instagram and then she let me know that she was going to be in Venice the same time I was. So we made a point of meeting up and I went to see her work at the Palazzo Bembo. Welcome, Laurie. Thank you. So glad to be here. So uh, we were talking about your artwork, which is on show at the Palazzo Bembo, as I said, in Venice. But you haven't always been an artist. How did you, how did that all come about for you to be an artist? And, you know, what made you move from Canada to New York? Well, I did move to Canada, sorry, to New York from Canada uh, to go to art school. I was, uh, did undergraduate in Canada and came to go to graduate school here. Somewhere along the way, I, uh, life turned up upside down and I ended up in law school. And at that same time, I was making art, so it was a little crazy because it was more than full-time with law and art, and the law drifted away, thank goodness, and I just became an artist who could focus solely on art. So your current body of work, some of which is on show at the Palazzo Bembo, what are the big inspirations behind that? The initial inspiration and obsession was first century BC Roman poet Catullo, a mini epic that included mythology, a full range of emotion that just remains relevant today. It started with Ariadne thesis, the Minotaur, the Furies, but all of this carries through to contemporary life, uh, minus those mythological creatures. And I would say, uh, additionally, uh, as a painter, because that's what I started out as, I have always been very focused on Renaissance art, Renaissance painting, sculpture, uh, painting, uh, painters such as uh, uh, Rembrandt, his late works uh, that I recently, well, last year saw in London, the Ribera show at the Dulwich was phenomenal. Uh, Raphael, I would say El Greco, and a common thread with these painters is a heavy degree of emotional content, I would say chiaroscuro, uh, drapery. These elements then entered into my photography. I did not know that would happen, but they were part of my painting and drawing practice. I have to add men's entertainment magazines. We bring modern contemporary life into this, and as my parents were avid subscribers, they were introduced into my visual life at a very young age, and I would say now that uh, those elements, certain elements remain in the sensual and the erotic, but historically, the body was elevated, particularly the male body in ancient times. And in modern life, the female body became a commodity uh, in men's entertainment magazines. And so I am using the body from the perspective of the female gaze really as a point of empowerment. And as in sculptural terms, athletic terms, and it may be my body, but I am empowered because I am making all the decisions of what you are exposed to, primarily emotionally because it's not explicit uh, imagery, but the emotional content to me is the most vulnerable aspect of the work. And that's created through gesture. So you refer to your work as performance as well. Can you elaborate some more on that? Well, I, I use the word performance because it is 
yes, it is physical. It is an intense action. The setting is always one location in my studio. That does not vary. I don't, I don't foresee that it will vary. I'm not always in the images. As the body is really a channel or a vehicle for interpreting, reinterpreting, not only ancient history emotions, but emotions transcend time. We may all experience them in a different manner, to different degrees. But there is universality um, in that we are human. Our humanity allows us to feel emotion. And so the body is the vehicle by which I convey that. It is a continuous shoot. I may know the starting point of the action in a chair, progressing from there as it, my body moves and it can tumble, <laughs> literally, on the floor. Unexpected things happen. Shoes fall off. Uh, some of the most magical moments are the unexpected. But as the performer, it is uh, deeply emotional because my own life, of course, and my own experiences, past, present, uh, do come into play. Just to give context for our listeners, can you describe the narrative of the poem that you're particularly using as your inspiration? Poem 64 is a mini epic. The bulk of the poem is midsection, and in that, the poet is describing for wedding guests a wedding bed. On this coverlet of the wedding bed is the mythology of Ariadne, Thesis, and the Minotaur. Within that description, the characters come to life for us, the reader. They are speaking to each other. They are speaking uh, to us. They are, they are pleading to the gods for revenge. And Thesis basically uh, was going to marry Ariadne. They had fallen in love. He deserts her on on an island and it just sails away and she is left there to die. She ultimately triumphs. I do not see her as a victim. She becomes a goddess. But I would add that the visual uh, imagery and content, psychological content, does tie into aspects of life that are central to this body of work, exploring sexuality, love, loss. That's ancient times. I'm examining it in contemporary times and, again, within my own creative world. So is, I think you said in your own words to synthesize ancient and modern conditions of life, but to sort of reinterpret them with your own visual language. But what right. um, you're, you're using a lot of drapery in your work, um, but you rarely show the face. That's exactly right. In fact, in my photography, the face is never shown. In my paintings, the face is always shown. Why I choose to have this, it's not really a mask. It, you can see elements of the face underneath, but I do not choose to show an expressive uh, facade at all because the uh, what I choose to convey to the viewer and what I choose to experience as the performer is achieved through the body, through the limbs, through the gesture, through the pose, through the drapery. And much like sculpture, you can look at Leakawan, now the face was included and seriously, but the bulging eyes 
all of that expressiveness, but the bodies showed much. The drapery uh, beyond the veil uh, in my images creates a mystery of sensuality, um, illusions. It, it, all of this can confound the viewer, I hope, and cause them to question what is going on here. I look at the Burgers of Calais, and that solemnity of their robes hanging, and that speaks to me. That's really interesting, actually, using the forms that are not the body, but also like the drape that hangs off it as gestural. Yes. And what about this new body of work that you're um, building on, which is actually without the figure and all drapery? Well, it is part of the same body of work. It is a subset, and I call it ancestral home. It is essentially Ariadne's ancestral home, but probably mine. And in it, there is, there is no figure. There's no, there is no body. It is the same setting, exactly the same, but there may be a chair that is draped. I would say that these images, and uh, as attested to by the few who have seen them, have as much impact as when the body is present. To me, it is almost as if the draped chair becomes a figure. It expresses what the body does with gesture and limbs and a high heel. They are quite powerful and that and very empty. These images are so rich with the drapery, with the lighting, with that flooring of the sheets, and then the chair and a pillow possibly that's draped, all draped. And I have goosebumps talking about it uh, because it is, um, I'm just finding it very exciting. And this, as I may have mentioned, this is a body of work that's going to continue long term. It's not, oh, I'm going to make 20 images, have a show. Death, love, and everything else, that incorporates a lot. And it could go on in various forms, multimedia. I am going to start large drawings, large-scale drawings, in relationship to this imagery uh, this summer and just continue working in the studio. So looking at your career, I mean, I know you've shown in various places. We obviously met in Venice, but I know you were in Miami uh, in December. How was that for you? And what were you doing there? I was in Miami to show during uh, the Art Basel Miami week. There are, in addition to the fair at the convention center, there are many satellite fairs, and I happened to be in a fair held in a parking lot called Satellite. And a uh, 40 foot by eight by eight and a half foot steel construction shed, multimedia light sound, printing on vinyl, fabric, large scale images. It was, excellent uh, creative challenge and the output I was really, I, I was happy about. But um, what these situations bring, and I will, I will say that just prior to that, I had shown in London at the other art fair at the college, not 30%. Being in London and having satellite down the road, it gives you a talking point. And I find this very important that as an artist, you have the next talking point. I was on the wait list for the other art, the other art fair. And when I called them up, because I'm not shy, I'm just very polite and know how to deal with people. And I told them on the phone about Basel, Miami, the construction shed. Probably three days later, I was one of the 30 female artists 
and not 30%. So I think this is very important for artists to understand that even if it's not the biggest opportunity, um, that's a general statement, you have talking points to take you to the next situation. And then Basel Miami was a talking point for ECC and I definitely used it, absolutely. So let's actually move on to um, being at the European Cultural Center. Uh, when, when did that, how did that all happen for you? What was your experience with it? Palazzo Bembo and personal structures occurred because a friend of mine exhibited with the European Cultural Center two years ago. And she told me about uh, the opportunity. I contacted them, sent them images, some w words about my work, and I was late in getting in touch with them. I would say I got in touch mid-February, first email. Possibly I, I did get a response some days later. And I, I have to say I kind of expected to because of the Italian tie-in with the work. It just seemed like a good fit. Uh, so immediately once I got the positive response, international shippers, because I had the work ready. That, that was the key thing. I was not going to be making new work for this. Of course, output is hugely expensive. You'd be working on dye bond printing in New York City. So I lined up with my international shippers to get it on that plane, to get it on that ferry to get it into the palazzo. And that's one of the trickiest things, I think, if you're just beginning to exhibit internationally, is you have to have your international shipping lined up. Whether it's you're going to risk it, go by FedEx, I understand, because costs are so high, or DHL. So I got that in place, which was a huge sigh of relief. And then you start with social media, and eventually your email blast. I wanted to everyone to know that I could let know, and also then being in New York City, going to an opening, running into someone here or there. Again, it's a talking point. And I think as one's career moves along, having these talking points is very important. And I found from experience that they become stronger, the types of exhibitions, art fairs that I'm being involved with. And that gives you freedom to make decisions. One might decide, I'm not going to enter and work with that group that I did two years ago or three years ago because it wasn't quite the right fit. And you are now in a position to say, no, I don't want that. I want to do this again, or I'm going for that situation. And Again, one last point, these uh, exhibitions, art fairs, become um, obviously resume builders, but I'm going to be applying for a, a foundation grant at the, by the end of this month. And all of these events then can go on. I would say that all of these events are resume builders. They also add dimension to my career and present new creative challenges, which is very important. And I know for yourself that you've had actually connections that you've made in London when you were at the other art fair, then, you know, those sort of turned up in, um, those turned up in Venice. And then that's kind of actually given you traction as well. I really admire quite how much you're, you know, making sure that your work uh, gets seen out there and, you know, the efforts on visibility. I think it's important to maximize any uh, contact that you make to network. Networking is key. London led to that dealer 
buying uh, a photograph, then coming to Venice. She introduced me to another London dealer who showed at Freeze recently in New York. He loved my work, and while he does not focus on work like mine, every year he has a specific self-portrait show, and next year I'm going to be invited to show in that. You just never know what will happen. I say, and it's not a photography pun, uh, you must keep your lens wide open. Oh, fantastic advice. Thank you, Laurie. What have you got coming up then? Obviously, you've got um, the work on in Venice until November. What else? My plans right now are, in the near term, to spend the summer in the studio. I've had many shoots. I have so much material to just go through, edit, find what creates for me a cohesive, strong grouping. And then the entire creative process starts there. The shoot is only the beginning. The bulk of the work comes after the shoot. And my lab happens to be the next building to me in Long Island City, which helps. I don't, at this point, know how the fall is going to uh, pan out, but I'm not concerned about that right now. I'm really concerned about developing uh, quality images and doing more shoots and just continuing networking and see what happens from Venice. Amazing. Laurie, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram, very easy, at Laurie Cuisinier. You can find me on my website, lauriecuisinier.com. And if you come to New York City, get in touch, you can come to my studio. I will add all of that into the show notes. Thank you, Laurie, so much for spending time with me this evening. And thank you, Gita. Uh, this has been fabulous, and I love the curator salon. <laughs> The Curator Salon hopes you enjoyed this production.